sick of advanced metrics talk. I've had enough for nine months. All we've done is talk advanced metrics, advanced metrics, advanced metrics, analytics, advanced stats, advanced metrics, analytics, advanced stats, advanced metrics. I just want to talk ADPs. I just want to talk about which players you would draft in which rounds and leave all these advanced stats to the nerds. That's what I want to do. I just want to have fun and not think too much. Can I do that for one show, please? We do two shows a week stockpiled with stats and metrics. And I just want to talk about Rob Gronkowski's greatness. I want to talk about what a great football player Rob Gronkowski is. Because I think he's currently being taken for granted. He's now 29 years old. Rob Gronkowski is past the age apex at the tight end position. It's clear he's on the backside of his career, but he's still within his prime. He's still 29. For all the same reasons we want to draft Alshon Jeffrey just to enjoy that one last awe-inspiring, ultra-athletic Alshon Jeffrey season, I want to draft Rob Gronkowski just because it feels good. I don't have any Rob Gronkowski in Dynasty. It's just Travis Kelsey, Travis Kelsey, Travis Kelsey, because Travis Kelsey broke out after Rob Gronkowski. In all my startups, Rob Gronkowski was too expensive. Travis Kelsey was not. Now they're equivalents in Dynasty. Rob Gronkowski should score more fantasy points this season, but Travis Kelsey should score more points for the remainder of his career because he suffered far fewer major injuries but I want to take this opportunity to celebrate Rob Gronkowski. Because it was not long ago that Rob Gronkowski was thought of as a first-round pick. Major cases were being argued across fantasy football by advanced metrics aficionados that Rob Gronkowski deserves to be a first-round pick. And nothing has changed other than his age. And you could argue last season was his most efficient season ever. Check the advanced metrics on playerprofiler.com. Rob Gronkowski's production premium which looks at his fantasy points scored above expectation. So look at any given down and distance, how many receptions, yards, and touchdowns should a tight end produce on any given down and distance in any given game situation. Rob Gronkowski posted a plus 25.2 production premium, which is astounding for a tight end. It's one thing for a wide receiver to post a plus 25.2 production premium. It's another thing for a tight end to produce that far above and beyond expectation. And look at the efficiency. Target premium, plus 31.1. That's Rob Gronkowski's per-target fantasy output above and beyond the other receivers in that passing game, so it factors out quarterback play. Plus 31.1% was number two in the NFL. His yards per target were number two in the NFL. His yards per route run was number one in the NFL. And even his contested catch rate. 36.8%, number eight in the NFL. So across the top four most critical efficiency metrics that we surface on playerprofiler.com, Rob Gronkowski ranked number one, number two, number two, number one among qualified tight ends last season. He was also number one in total target distance and depth, also known as total air yards, both complete and incomplete air yards. The total target distance of 1,256 for Rob Gronkowski was number one in the NFL, and his dominator rating, 28.2%, was number three in the NFL. So Rob Gronkowski was accounting for an enormous percentage of the Patriots' passing game, and no tight end was more efficient on a per-route and target basis than Gronkowski. So last year was not his most productive season because he only played 13 games, 
but it was one of, if not the most efficient season on Rob Gronkowski's resume at age 28. So even though when you watch Rob Gronkowski play, he does not look as fluid as he did five years ago. Who would? But Gronkowski in particular looks more stiff. He looks like a Frankenstein version of Rob Gronkowski, not Rob Gronkowski. And that gave even me pause. And I despise the eye test. And yet I was avoiding Rob Gronkowski in the second round because the eye test gave me pause. And all the news in the offseason was negative. Just a swirl of foreboding news items around Rob Gronkowski. Will he retire? Will he hold out? Will he be traded? Will he retire? Will he hold out? Will he be traded? Gronk unhappy. Gronk want more money. Gronk want more appreciation. Give Gronk money or Gronk don't play football. We don't want dispirited Rob Gronkowski. We want happy-go-lucky Rob Gronkowski. There's the football. Go get the football. Go get the football, Gronk. Go get the football. There's the football. You don't want sad Rob Gronkowski. So my rationale for avoiding Rob Gronkowski in the second round of fantasy football drafts throughout this offseason was I'm not drafting a stiff, disgruntled tight end over an alpha dog receiver like Michael Thomas or a workhorse back at the peak of his powers like Melvin Gordon. No. And then suddenly the clouds lifted from Foxborough. Training camp starts and Rob Gronkowski suddenly is no longer disgruntled. And the Patriots don't seem concerned that Rob Gronkowski skipped team workouts once upon a time. Ancient history. So now we have fresh, inspired, joyful Rob Gronkowski. Well, that's what we want. Meanwhile, all of Rob Gronkowski's pass-catching teammates are falling by the wayside. Julian Edelman suspended for four games. Jordan Matthews hurt again and released with an injury settlement. Malcolm Mitchell released, likely with an injury settlement. Who's left? Chris Hogan and James White. And that's it in week one. That's really it. I mean, you can make a case for Kenny Britt. You can make a case for Eric Decker. But this is going to be the Chris Hogan, Rob Gronkowski, James White show in New England. Don't be surprised when James White, not Eric Decker, not Riley McCarron, not Philip Dorsett, James White runs a significant number of routes out of the slot in Julian Edelman's absence. This is what we want from our satellite backs. Routes run. Well, it's hard to find a satellite back that projects to run more routes through the first four weeks of the season than James White. Yet James White has been perpetually forgotten. Big game James, the real Super Bowl MVP, James White, is rising up the board on our world-famous draft kits. Extreme, 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 extreme. Cheat sheet. Need to modulate my voice for that. And the cheat sheet is a key component of our draft kit. Learn more about it. Fantasy-draftkit.com. You need it to dominate your drafts. And if you already have the rankings or the data analysis, you want to upgrade to the all-in package, good news. Anyone who subscribes at the all-in level gets a free roll in an FFPC $35 best ball league. I don't know why they're offering this, but they are. So you're welcome. After you sign up, just email rotounderworld at gmail.com. And we'll get you best balling right away. And James White is particularly attractive in the Draft Master format. Why? Because targets. Always put a premium on touches and targets, targets and touches. Opportunity trumps efficiency. Opportunity trumps athleticism. James White's not efficient. His signature skill is dropping wheel routes. 
James White's not athletic. He's one of the least athletic running backs in the league, but he'll command a significant target share in the in September regardless. And that's what I care about most. And Chris Hogan has been a sixth round pick throughout the offseason. He should be a third round pick. Once T.Y. Hilton and Stephon Diggs are off the board, why are you not drafting Chris Hogan? I mean, yeah, who doesn't want Tom Brady's number one receiver? I mean, would you prefer Tyreek Hill, who enjoyed the most random chance-fueled high-efficiency season in the history of fantasy football, in in NFL history last season, catching seven touchdown passes all 30 yards or deeper downfield with Alex Smith at quarterback? The most improbable season I've ever seen by a wide receiver was accomplished by Tyreek Hill last season. So you're drafting him thinking he'll repeat that feat? No, just draft Chris Hogan. Lock in those targets and touchdowns and go win your fantasy league. Fantasy football doesn't have to be hard. So you're drafting Chris Hogan and you're drafting James White. But more than any of these Patriots receivers, you need to be drafting Rob Gronkowski. You need to get Gronk, especially in standard leagues where the tight end scores an inordinate number of the fantasy points. The percentage of total fantasy points scored by tight ends is higher in standard leagues, putting a premium on that position. And if you're putting a premium on the tight end position, you need to go out and get Rob Gronkowski. That's it. I self-flagellate every night as punishment for not reading the Scott Fishbowl rules and drafting Julio Jones over Rob Gronkowski. A significant premium on tight end receptions and tight end first downs, and I still drafted Julio Jones, even though once upon a time, Rob Gronkowski once caught 90 footballs for 1,327 yards, and get this, 17 touchdowns! Rob Gronkowski once scored 17 touchdowns in a season. Like, that happened in 2011. That's in the history books. It's the greatest tight end season of all time. And I think that Rob Gronkowski is well positioned to exceed the best tight end season of all time. Wouldn't it be great for the two best tight end seasons of all time to both belong to Rob Gronkowski? And it's in his range of outcomes this season. Look at his target competition. And look at his talent profile on playerprofiler.com. That's all you need to do. Fantasy football doesn't need to be hard. Draft Rob Gronkowski and Chris Hogan and win your fantasy league. (laughs) Oh, what if Rob Gronkowski gets hurt? Well, then Chris Hogan becomes a top 10 fantasy receiver. (laughs) That's what. But if Rob Gronkowski gets hurt, it will affect Tom Brady. Historically, only one Patriots receiver has impacted Tom Brady's productivity, and that's Rob Gronkowski. Since 2010, when Rob Gronkowski came into the league, Brady has scored 25.5 fantasy points per game in PPR leagues with Rob Gronkowski and only 21.5 fantasy points without him. That's a full passing touchdown difference with a significant sample size. 100 games played with Gronkowski, 25 without him. Four fantasy points with a sample size that large, is a chasm. Because that's the impact that Rob Gronkowski has. Because Rob Gronkowski's impact on the Patriots passing game is astronomical. That's why I don't worry about Tom Brady when Julian Edelman gets suspended or gets hurt. Or when Brandon Cooks gets traded. Or when Jordan Matthews gets released. I just don't worry about it. Something happens to Rob Gronkowski. Tom Brady goes from being the best fantasy quarterback in the game to a very good fantasy quarterback who you may consider benching depending on the matchup. Whoa! 
That's how valuable Rob Gronkowski is to this offense. And another tight end has been flashing in training camp who looks like Rob Gronkowski on the football field. And there's no way you can guess his name. Maybe you can. The savviest minions in the underworld. Those that are active in our Patreon community. Patreon.com forward slash podfather. That interact with me on a daily basis. Maybe they can guess who I'm about to say. One of the most impressive tight ends throughout training camp and preseason, isn't even a starter on the depth chart. Just like Rob Gronkowski wasn't a starter on his depth chart in his rookie season, and he still posted 546 yards and 10 touchdowns in eight games. (laughs) I mean, this guy! Eight games with a significant snap share, post 10 touchdowns. But I'm thinking of Adam Shaheen, because Adam Shaheen checks three key boxes. He's big, 6'6", 278. He was a mega producer at the college level, 36.4%, 95th percentile college dominator, and a 107.8, 83rd percentile speed score, and an 1147, 63rd percentile agility score. For a 270-pound tight end to post an 1147 agility score is incredibly impressive. That's why we talk about size-adjusted agility, because size matters. If you're a 5'10", 180-pound wide receiver, you should post an 1140 agility score. That should be the baseline. If you're a 6'6", 270-pound tight end, mind blow. But Adam Shaheen is the reason you should not be drafting Trey Burton in fantasy football. The logic used to tout Trey Burton is the most backward logic that I've read in fantasy football. That because Trey Burton is small, that he plays move tight end, that he'll have a heavy slot snap share, that that's a reason to buy Trey Burton. No, it's not. No, it's not. Trey Burton is a diminutive tight end at 6'3", 235 pounds. That is a red flag. His best comparable player on playerprofiler.com is James Casey. Half of the tight ends he's comparable switched from either wide receiver or running back to tight end at the NFL level. That's not a good sign. Those players are rarely tight end ones in fantasy, and here's why. Because they're pulled off the field in heavy packages. They're not running routes on the goal line. When Mitchell Trubisky fakes the handoff and rolls out on the two-yard line, he'll be looking for Adam Shaheen in the back of the end zone, not Trey Burton. And that's a problem because as we talked about before, an inordinate percentage of tight end fantasy points comes from touchdowns. It's one thing to target the slot receiver, the target hog receiver in PPR leagues. But regardless of the format, you want your tight ends to score touchdowns. You're looking for the next Rob Gronkowski and Travis Kelsey, not the next Owen Daniels. So the presence of Adam Shaheen will throttle Trey Burton, who is currently the most overdrafted tight end, going at slot 71 in FFPC high-stakes leagues. Adam Shaheen is a much better value at the end of drafts. If you're not going to push the button on Rob Gronkowski and Travis Kelsey in the first three rounds, you might as well wait for Jack Doyle and David Njoku in the back half of your draft. And don't be afraid to draft two tight ends. My favorite late round tight end draft tactic is selecting both Jack Doyle and David Njoku. Jack Doyle gives you the highest late round floor. David Njoku gives you the highest late round ceiling. Give your floor and ceiling covered in Jack Doyle and David Njoku. I didn't even intend for this to be a tight end talk. 
to start the show. But here we are, going through every tight end on the board. How did we get here? And oh, David Njoku. His best comparable player is Travis Kelsey on playerprofiler.com. And all of his workout metrics are in the 80th percentile or above. All of them. If Adam Shaheen reminds us of Rob Gronkowski, David Njoku reminds us of Travis Kelsey, the next yak monster tight end in the NFL. David Njoku is one of the best tight end prospects of all time, and he owns one of the most ridiculous stats in college football history, having averaged 11.2 yards after the catch per reception at age 21. Against Power 5 competition. David Njoku didn't post that stat at Ashland. He did it at Miami. And like all of Rob Gronkowski's target competition is falling down around him, as is David Njoku's target competition. Josh Gordon is AWOL. Antonio Callaway will be suspended. Corey Coleman is in Buffalo. And we don't know what Des Bryant is. Who's left standing besides Jarvis Landry? It's David Njoku. And friend of the program, Graham Barfield, drafted David Njoku in the 12th round of the Apex Experts League. Way too late. Graham getting Njoku in round 12 made me regret drafting Greg Olson in round 7. But I love Greg Olson. (laughs) He's my highest owned tight end in seasonal leagues, and it's not close. But I love this Apex platform. Apex is bringing the skill back to fantasy football. The worst thing about fantasy football is losing matchups and not making the playoffs when you have the better team. And Apex is pulling all the necessary levers to mitigate randomness. Auction drafts. Blind bidding on free agents with fab dollars. Double header matchups every week. If you love low stakes leagues, try out Apex. If you love high stakes, Apex has high stakes leagues. And high stakes players love Apex because they add additional prize money to the pool if a league is not filling on time. And we make it so easy to join an Apex Fantasy League on every player page, including David Njoku, Adam Shaheen, Rob Gronkowski. There's a link on the right hand side to play that player on Apex. Do it and do it now. And I didn't realize this, but in talking to my guest today, Michael Fabiano, that's right, the Michael Fabiano is joining me in the underworld lair to spend a lot more time with us than I or anyone would have expected. But because he's an official employee of the NFL, he can't just join any old best ball league. So to get a sense of what the experts are doing, he invites experts to participate in free mock drafts on NFL.com. And that's a gangster move right there. I'm not going to go out and seek mock drafts. I'm going to bring the experts to me. You come to me to mock. I don't go to you. Those are the moves the Podfather respects. But I have to think that if Michael Fabiano was able to participate in best ball leagues for money in the offseason, that he'd be playing on real-time fantasy sports. That's my favorite place to play in these Draftmaster best ball leagues because they've paid out millions of dollars in prize money over the years. And the buy-ins go as low as $20. Or you can join a best ball tournament where the champion wins thousands of dollars. They also have a slick mobile app. So there's really no reason not to try real-time fantasy sports. Go to rtsports.com forward slash underworld. And you can join a league right now. And while you're drafting, you can listen to my conversation with the man, Michael Fabiano. 
Sure, he's polarizing. But have you checked his Twitter account lately? You see how many followers he has? After Matthew Barry, no one has more reach than Michael Fabiano. He's winning. I am looking forward to talking to him about that and so much more. Follow him at Michael underscore Fabiano on Twitter. Welcome to the Roto Underworld Radio Program. A man that needs no introduction. Oh, it's on. It's Michael Fabiano. Talk to me. What's going on, man? I like how you, you gave a little bit of an Italian accent to the last name Fabiano. Oh, I do. I have that flair. Yes. I actually was watching Hard Knocks last night, and Anthony Fabiano showed up on the screen with his back to the camera, and it showed Fabiano 59 on there for a second. And I'm like, that's not something you see every day. Nor do you see that probably ever is a Fabiano in an NFL jersey. You typically see an Italian in an NFL jersey, and it's, he's got, like, you know, number three or four because he's a kicker. Uh, or, right. or, or maybe maybe a quarterback on occasion. But typically not an offensive lineman. We had a Fasano, right? We had an Anthony Fasano. That's right. That's right. There's a few. We have, we've had a few. Uh, Adam Vinatieri, which is probably the most famous oh, one, yes. or one of the most famous ones. But, um, yeah, so that was, that was fun to see. I like how you pronounced that name. That was good. Well, I was created because an Italian and an Irishman got together, <laughs> right? And then that's how you get the half-Italian Matt Kelly. That's how that happens. Oh, so. I gotcha. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, man. Well, I actually went to uh, Catholic school my whole life, including my first two years of college was at an Irish uh, Catholic college in New Rochelle, New York. The Italian side of my family is the closest. We have a golf tournament every year. Oh, nice. I think some members of various threads of my family listen to the show, but I'm just going to come out and say it. I like the Italian side the best. <laughs> I'm not sorry. I'm just not sorry. It's the tight-knit clan. We've spent so much time with each other over the years that we just get along so well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, so my mother's side of the family is 100% Italian, and my father's side of the family is 50% Italian, uh, 50% sort of mix on uh, his mom's side. But, yeah, I mean, being an Italian, I mean, it's a very close-knit group, and uh, we all keep in touch. There's a lot of cousins. Um, You know, there's a lot of of football talk in our family as well, Um, a lot of football fans, sports talk in general, big-time Yankees fans, which you would expect from an Italian family. So, um, And you're 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 never short for, for food. Anytime you go to somebody's house, you always have to overeat. If you haven't eaten enough, they will continue to feed you until uh, you're sitting on the couch Al Bundy style. Uh, and that's another thing I love about being a fa- uh, an Italian. Yeah, they serve dinners for lunch. I would go home for lunch during the week if I knew my Aunt Pauline <laughs> was going to be making lunch. And it wasn't just like a lunch. It wasn't sandwiches. It was pasta. It was everything. The afternoons in school after one of those big lunches was, oh my mm-hmm. goodness but that was the best and it was just pasta with olive oil no marinara nothing no no, no. Wow. a lot of times it was just garlic perfectly roasted with olive oil we do a mansion lifestyle segment on this show and i will say roasting garlic is an art form it's one of the most difficult easy items to cook 
you have to fry it in olive oil for just the right amount of time. The moment it starts to brown, you have to take it off. If you leave the garlic in the olive oil too long, it becomes bitter very quickly. Ah. But that's all it was, just linguine with olive oil, and it was fresh olive oil, and it was so good. Oh, my. And now that's what my daughter loves. My daughter, she wants linguine with olive oil. That's what she wants. Oh, nice. And you grew up where? In northern Maine. Oh, okay, yeah. See, I grew up in Connecticut. The paper mills in northern Maine were Mm -hmm. built by stonemasons that came over, a lot of them from southern Italy. Oh, okay. They needed that skill set, and they were looking for it in the draft, right? <laughs> 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 they were looking for, oh, we need some stonemasons. Also, oh, you know, great-great-grandfather got drafted uh, by the paper mill, and, and that was the role he played for that team. Chris Thompson. What name is Thompson? Where does that come from? That, that, I don't know. I've always wondered that. Thompson. That's a pretty common last name, Thompson. Yeah, I have Thompsons throughout my family. On both sides, I have Thompsons. The different relatives have married different Thompsons. I don't know where that comes from. But Chris Thompson himself has found himself in a pretty peachy situation. Right? I don't even think I've ever used the word peachy on the show ever. <laughs> but I just wanted to say peachy right there. Or you could use another fruit adjective. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Could be a very plum situation. Is a plum situation, a peachy situation for Chris Thompson? I mean, if you're just copy and pasting the next guy up after a Darius Geis goes down with a torn ACL, you think, oh, it's going to be Chris Thompson. What's your take on this Washington backfield? And is it Chris Thompson that should be moving the fastest up the fantasy draft boards? Well, before I get into that, Wikipedia says that Thompson is of English and Scottish origin with a variety of spellings meaning son of Tom. Thompson. Makes sense, right? Makes sense. And they throw the P in there to throw you off. That's right. So this son of Tom, Chris, is certainly now the Redskins running back to own. And if we look back to last year, I mean, this is a player who was a, who was a top 15 Running back in PPR leagues in six of his ten games, he was extremely effective. And that was with the dynamic duo of Rob Kelly and Samaje P. Ryan, which now we're all left with a couple of plotters who really haven't shown much at the pro level. So Thompson's value now to me is that of a low-end RB2 flex starter. There's still a little bit of a question mark about that leg injury that he came back from. He even admits now that he's still not 100%. Uh, he's getting close. But based on skill set and based on the rest of the talent around them or lack thereof in that backfield, uh, CT is now clearly the guy to draft. Um, I believe he probably is going to end up coming off the board in PPR leagues at some point in the fifth or sixth round, whereas P. Ryan and Kelly – those are late-round picks to me, very one-dimensional backs, especially P. Ryan, and not too much to get excited about. Maybe this becomes even more of a passing offense in Washington with Alex Smith under center, and of course we know Jay Gruden likes to throw the football. They brought Darius Geis in hoping to improve the running game, and I promise you Darius would have done that. Uh, unfortunately, he goes down with that ACL. Now they're sort of back to square one where they were last season, where they're going to be throwing the football quite a bit. So it uh, could be good news for Alex Smith's value. Bad news, obviously, for the Redskins running backs as a whole. 
But Chris Thompson is now the man that you want on that fantasy football team of yours out of that Redskins backfield. You ever heard of the blind ADP test? I have not. Just close your eyes and imagine what a player's ADP will be in February. Yes. When you present me with the name Chris Thompson in February, I would think, oh, this is a fifth-round pick. This was the most efficient running back in the league last year. 7.8 yards per touch blew away the field. Across every efficiency metric, he was near the top of the league. Yep. Yes, he benefited from some very fortunate circumstances. So he will fall into a variance viper nest. It's going to happen to any running back who was that efficient last season. But I imagined his ADP would have been much higher. But for whatever reason, this expected reversion to the mean was baked into his ADP. So he was never expensive. So his ADP is now going to have to rise significantly to price me out, especially in PPR drafts. And I think that I'll be drafting a lot of Chris Thompson because even as his ADP rises, it's got a long way to go to get to where you said his value would be ideal, which is fifth round. Yeah. So he's got a long way to go. No, he does. He absolutely does. And, um, you know, I was in a draft last night with some of the the, the most talented fantasy players out there. Um, Mark Deming, uh, Greg Ambrosius, Nelson Sousa, uh, Derek Pearson. Uh, a, a bunch of guys. So, so basically what I wanted to do was, uh, see, being, being an NFL employee, there's a lot of things that I can't do, okay? I don't do best ball drafts typically because, well, there's an aspect to the best ball world that I can't participate in. So I wanted to sort of showcase some of the best players out there uh, in, in that world, and I have friends, obviously, who are in the industry like Tom Kastanich and Greg Ambrosius, uh, Emil Cadlick, and Derek Pearson. And I said, hey, guys, I want to put together a group of guys, Scott Atkins as well from, uh, from Scout Fantasy, uh, uh, guys and gals who are the best in the business, who, who are absolutely out there kicking butt every single year in fantasy sports. Right. And so we did this best ball draft, um, nothing on the line except for a trophy at the end of the year and bragging rights. We got together and did a 12-team, uh, 20-round draft, uh, and it was a heck of a lot of fun. It was probably one of the hardest drafts I've ever been in uh, because the competition was – I mean, these people know their stuff just like you know your stuff. These people are, are, are extremely good. Uh, and, and it was uh, Glenn – and I don't know if I'm pronouncing his last name right – Lowy, L-O-W-Y. I, I don't know a lot of these people personally, but I've met them via the Internet. Yeah, his name appears in numerous high-stakes draft rooms. Yes. He was the one who drafted Chris Thompson, and Chris Thompson came off the board for him in the sixth round. There it is. There it is. It's already happening. Oh, my God. So you're looking at a big move up. Oh, I just blinked. Oh, he's in the sixth round. <laughs> because if Darius Geis had not suffered that ACL, you're looking at Geis as a top 50 pick, and you're looking at Chris Thompson probably falling ninth to 10th round, somewhere in that area. Um yeah, he was going in the 10th round before, which I thought was too low, but fantasy gamers are getting better and better. The market's getting more and more efficient. Right, so the move northward in terms of his ADP has already started amongst those uh, who, are, who are very much involved uh, in the fantasy sports realm. And in my most recent expert league draft, I noticed that no one wanted to draft 
Josh Gordon. He fell like a stone in this draft. And every time I had the opportunity to draft him, I was like, oh, no, there's another guy I like a little bit better. Oh, there's another guy I guess I'd rather have than Josh Gordon because this just doesn't smell right. Michael, there's just something about this that doesn't smell right. I mean, George Bush said it. You fool me once, shame on me. You fool me twice. (laughs) Shame on... Listen, I'm not going to get fooled again, okay? I'm not going to get fooled again. And you could start to see Josh Gordon and Jarvis Landry passing each other as ships in the night, where Jarvis Landry's now being drafted earlier in PPR leagues. The draft I was in, it was multiple rounds earlier. So how high should fantasy gamers be on Jarvis Landry now? Because his stock is rising for a lot of reasons. Yeah, there's no question about that. In fact, um, you know, a month ago, I would have suggested Josh Gordon is the, is the player in Cleveland at that wideout spot to take. Right. Because I love his athleticism. I remember 2013 very well. I like what I saw last year in a, in a limited sample size. I remember that game that he had against the Chargers, uh, who, you know, who have one of the better defensive backfields in the league, and he looked very good. Um, I just... At this point, the risk is starting to concern me. Um, I have now moved Jarvis Landry ahead of Josh Gordon uh, in my PPR rankings. It's not a massive gap, um, but he's moved up nonetheless. And Gordon at this point, we're not sure what's going on. And that's where, that's where the issue is. And you, you see them trade Corey Coleman and you think, okay, well, maybe that's a good sign because Gordon's going to come back. And maybe they don't think they need Corey Coleman. It's a vote of confidence for Gordon and for Callaway. Sure, yeah. And then, all of a sudden, there's this talk about them bringing in Des Bryant. And then you think to yourself, okay, well, they traded Coleman, but why would they want to bring in Des Bryant? I mean, Des Bryant has been a wide receiver one in this league for a long time. Um, and now you bring him in along with Jarvis Landry, along with Josh Gordon. Does this mean that Josh Gordon's got question marks in terms of his availability heading into week one, you know, as a fantasy owner, and I'm sure you do this too, just the wheel starts spinning and you get into every scenario. And typically it's a negative scenario about why this team made this move and why this team is interested in this player. So at this point, I still think Gordon is probably worth a fifth or sixth round pick. If you're a riverboat gambler type, right. You better have your lineup set than take him as your first bench player. He was going in the top 40 and he was going in the top 40, in almost every mock I saw because people love the athleticism. They love the upside. They loved what they saw in 2013. They liked the fact that Tyrod, not Tyrod Taylor is the quarterback in Cleveland. So now we're seeing the result of his absence, both in camp in preseason in the news. We sort of don't know what's going on right now. So if you're drafting in the next couple of weeks and we still don't know what's going on with Josh Gordon, two things are going to happen. Either one, you're going to take him and he's going to end up being a draft bargain for you or you're going to take him and week one comes along and we still don't know what's going on and you're going to be sitting on him and you're going to be sitting on him and you're going to be sitting on him until news breaks about what's what's exactly happening uh with this kid and there's a whole bunch of risk involved because he hasn't played much football since 2013 so you're you're really deciding in your head where in a draft does the risk decrease for me where am I comfortable taking him knowing that maybe I don't get a full season out of Josh Gordon? And I think uh, you're looking, again, sixth round, seventh round for that 
uh, for me, and, and that might mean that I don't get him. Remember that blind ADP test? You ask me who's being drafted first in a scenario where Josh Gordon is scheduled to be back and the Browns signed Jarvis Landry. Ask me in February, I would still say Jarvis Landry's being drafted ahead of Josh Gordon. The fact that he was ever drafted after Josh Gordon never rang true to me, never made sense to me. Mm-hmm. And now we're seeing Jarvis Landry building rapport in practice. It's not yep. just is Josh Gordon at risk of missing week one. There's a lot of practice time missed, a lot of rapport building that Jarvis Landry is accomplishing, and he's peeing all over the wide receiver room. He's establishing alpha dog status. Yeah, he is. (laughs) That is for sure. By just peeing everywhere and staking claim to that role in Josh Gordon's absence. So this is part of the cost of not being in training camp. Yeah, it is. And I think a lot of people, including myself, are also thinking, you know what, Jarvis Landry came in off, he's coming off that magical type of season. Uh, you know, career high in targets, uh, a, big, a big catch hog, and scored nine touchdowns last year. And that was, a, that was a career high as well. So you would think there's going to be some regression in the mean in the touchdown department. And especially when you go to a team that, remember at the time, had Corey Coleman, had Josh Gordon, David Njoku in the mix, Duke Johnson, who's also a target hog as a, as a running back, so there was a lot of mouths to feed. Now, well, those mouths are starting to decrease a little bit. And if there's continues to be question marks about Josh Gordon, then rightly so, Jarvis Landry's stock is going to continue to rise. It's looking like the Jarvis Landry offense. Could be. In Cleveland. Could very well be. Just like we had in Miami. It's just a carbon copy. And Jarvis Landry might be enjoying the best quarterback play of his career this year by Jarvis Landry. Now, Corey Coleman's in Buffalo. Mm -hmm. Does this siphon targets from Kelvin Benjamin, or we still have Kelvin Benjamin locked into that number one wide receiver role? Yeah, I believe he's still the number one there, but I've never really been a big Kelvin Benjamin fan. Thank you. I mean, if you look at his numbers coming out of coming out of college in his rookie season, he he had a very he had a very good statistical season from a fantasy perspective for a rookie wide receiver. Since then, it's been all about inconsistency and injuries, uh, and then traded to Buffalo. You've got question marks at the quarterback position. Josh Allen looks like he's got a he's got a hand cannon. I mean, this guy can can wing it. Doesn't mean he's accurate, and we all know that that was the big bugaboo uh, with him in college. So when you consider Coleman's value, when you consider Benjamin's value, to me, Benjamin's no more than a wide receiver five. And, and some people may think I'm insane because, well, he's going to see a lot of targets. Well, potentially, uh, how many of those targets are going to be accurate targets? How often are the Bills going to enter the red zone, man? And, and, you, and you've got the LaShawn McCoy situation where if those off-field issues turn into a suspension, then that offense could be the worst in the league. So yeah, They could be the worst team in the league. Potentially, yes, and which is insane to think because this was a playoff team last year, and a lot, a lot has changed between now and then, of course. But I, I'm, I'm on board with you. I am not a fan of Kelvin Benjamin. It's not a guy that I would draft uh, until the later rounds, and Corey Coleman would be someone that I would wait in, until the very last rounds to draft if I decided to draft them at all, depending on the size of my league. I, I have very little stock in any bills so far. I mean, really, the only guy 
that that's in that passing game that I would have a little bit of faith in is Charles Clay, but even he isn't listed uh, on my rankings board as a tight end one. He's more of a tight end two because there should be some targets coming his way uh, in the in the way of Josh Allen and AJ McCarron, whoever the quarterback might be, uh, both inexperienced to some degree in the NFL, and of course Josh Allen's never taken a regular season snap. But other than that, you're looking at a potential fantasy wasteland in Buffalo, especially if the LaShawn McCoy situation goes south. It's the difference in format. In a best ball draft master league where you don't have access to the waiver wire, you want to lock in predictable targets, and that's Kelvin Benjamin. But in a traditional fantasy league where you have access to the waiver wire, you want to aim higher in the later rounds. You don't want to settle for Kelvin Benjamin in the second half of a draft. I'm much more likely to draft a John Brown in a traditional league where I have access to the waiver wire and see mm-hmm. if he hits in week one, knowing if he doesn't, I could just go to the waiver wire and pick up the next wide receiver du jour. Do you think this could be a big year for John Brown? Boy, I tell you, it's a good situation where, you know, Marty Morrowing likes to throw the football. I mean, he's always liked to throw the football and, and, and that's, that's never been, uh, that's never been uh, an issue with him. Joe Flacco just doesn't excite me, and I get it. He, he's he can throw the ball downfield. I understand that. Yeah, skill set match, right? Skill set match. I get it. I know. John Brown's also had one big season in the league. That's it, and it was a season barely over a thousand yards, seven touchdowns. Uh, I believe it was back in 2015. Had mid 60s for catches. I believe it was around 65 or 66 catches that season. But really, that was his big season. If you go back to 2016. Uh, banged up disappointment last year, banged up disappointment. Um, I believe he has the sickle cell trait as well, which which could be uh, an issue. Health has been his problem. Now, with that being said, if you read the reports out of Baltimore, he's the star of camp. He is right. the absolute star of camp right now. So he's a player who, in best ball, I certainly would like to to grab some shares of him because of his ability to potentially give you three or four catches for 100 yards and a touchdown uh, on any given week in that Ravens offense. With that being said, John Brown is no more than a wide receiver five for me, but in that space of taking wide receivers late in your draft, I completely agree with you that John Brown is somebody that I will certainly be looking out for because in a best-case scenario, in an offense that will throw the football, as I mentioned, uh, he could end up being a pretty decent draft bargain. Yeah, round 15, throw a dart on John Brown. Why not? I'd rather have John Brown than a lot of these rookie wide receivers, for example. Like Oh, sure. No question. James Washington. Although James Washington could be operating as, as a weapon on the most prolific offense in the league. When you look at the skill position players in Baltimore, that's what it's shaping up to be. And then Ben Roethlisberger gets a concussion. Do you think that's really the only thing preventing the Steelers from having the best offense in the NFL, an injury to Ben Roethlisberger? Uh, That would be uh, a huge huge blow to that offense, no question about that. And with a healthy Ben Roethlisberger, with Le'Veon Bell in the backfield, Antonio Brown and and Juju Smith-Schuster, I mean, that offense... It's unbelievable. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. How productive that offense can be. And Big Ben is, is he, you know, he, you turn that key. He's the guy, he's the guy in the driver's seat uh, that makes everything run. And as good as Antonio Brown is, um, any loss of Big Ben for any period of time, 
it's going to devalue him at least somewhat. I mean, we don't know who the backup quarterback is going to be. Is it going to be Landry Jones? Is it going to be Mason Rudolph? We'll see what happens, but there's a big gap between Ben Roethlisberger and the Steelers' number two quarterback. So he needs to stay out there on that football field, stay healthy to continue to potentially lead the best offense in the National Football League. Who was tackling him? Who the hell tackled him in practice? That's that's the question I had too. Is like throw that guy out of practice. What are you doing? What defender is getting that close to Ben Roethlisberger where he's in the concussion protocol in practice? Are you insane? <laughs> this is like the like the bailing twine that's holding together the most valuable machine in the league. No question. Yeah, no question about that. I couldn't believe that. And Roethlisberger is one of. More than one quarterback, let's put it that way, out there that if he goes down to an injury, the rest of that offense in a domino effect drops a ton of fantasy appeal. And we saw that last season with Andrew Luck when he went down and the Colts offense sort of sputtered, T.Y. Hilton in particular. Uh, But Big Ben is one of the biggest examples of, well, the quarterback position uh, has got 32 starters right now, and um, it's a hard position to fill. And there's a lot of backups out there that we don't, as fantasy owners, want to see out on that gridiron for any extended period of time. And it's a lesson I learned last year, that we often underestimate the lingering effects of injuries to players. And I'm thinking about the quarterback position specifically. I'm thinking about Joe Flacco's back injury last season, how that essentially derailed the Ravens' offense, and how Derek Carr's transverse process injury derailed the Raiders' last year you thought oh Derek Carr's back well he's not a hundred percent they're just taping him up and getting him back out there because the alternative is you automatically lose the game Mm -hmm. which is what you're talking about but now Derek Carr is healthy again and it seems like the football world quickly forgot that he was an MVP candidate did you forget I haven't forgotten uh because I work with his brother David Carr. In fact, last week uh, during a preseason game, uh, I was asked on the air which quarterback I'd rather have, Matthew Stafford or Derek Carr. And David was looking right over my shoulder. Nice. And I still said Matthew Stafford because that's the correct answer. But Professional. Yeah. But Derek, people forget, in the previous two years combined for 60 touchdown passes. And he had 19 interceptions. Very good quarterback. Very efficient quarterback. Now, you would think bringing John Gruden into this offense is a good thing for Derek Carr. And the reports that we have seen and heard so far about Carr and Camp have been glowing. Now, Carr to me is worth a late-round pick. Why? The quarterback position is ridiculously deep, ridiculously deep. And you also have to consider what the Ravens want to do. A lot of the movement that they made in the offseason was geared towards running the football effectively. They already had Marshawn Lynch, who I believe they underutilized last year. They bring in Doug Martin. You've got DeAndre Washington. You've got Jalen Richard there. Uh, This is a team that is going to want to run the football. With that being said, Carr is someone who I believe is undervalued from a fantasy perspective. And it's partially because of the what-have-you-done-for-me-lately mentality uh, of myself and, and a lot of fantasy football owners out there. But also, Derek's in an offense that I believe sort of it lowers his ceiling a bit. You've got Amari Cooper, and then you've got a 33-year-old Jordy Nelson, who was terrible last season when Aaron Rodgers wasn't the quarterback. And you've got Martavis Bryant, who, the last I heard, has not been good at getting good reviews in Raiders camp at all. I'm, I'm shocked by this. I'm, just, I'm so shocked. I'm just shocked. 
<laughs> I mean, Martavis has got all the talent in the world. Unfortunately, he hasn't been able to put it together uh, in between the ears uh, as a pro. Fool me once, you fool me once. Right, exactly. So uh, for those reasons, Derek is being undervalued in drafts. And it's a position that has so much depth, uh, you know, supply versus demand. He's worth a late-run pick. He's a QB2. He could end up being a very good DFS play, a very good matchup-based option um, this season. But based on what we saw last season, based on the fact that this offense looks like it's geared towards the run, based on what they have at the wide receiver position right now, mm. and if you remember going into last year, I mean, you had Crabtree and Cooper. That was a pretty good duo. Didn't turn out that way, but we all sort of thought that that was going to be the 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 trio that the Raiders were going to have for several years, and and this and this this offense was going to sort of click on all cylinders. And they brought in Marshawn Lynch, and it was suddenly going to become uh, a very well-rounded offense. It, it didn't happen that way. But I think the presence of Gruden is a positive. But I do believe that there is a ceiling with with Derek Carr when it comes to his uh, statistical success. So you have a connection with David Carr. And I have a theory that John Gruden wants to use Jalen Richard as his brother Jay Gruden has used Chris Thompson. So mm-hmm. I want you to float that theory to David Carr, see if he can get that question to Derek Carr, and see if we can get that confirmed. We also <laughs> need to know who the number three receiver is going to be in this offense if Martavis Bryant is not handed the keys to the number three receiver job, which it sounds like he hasn't earned the trust yet of either his coaches or his quarterback or anybody. So the, the other conspiracy theory in Oakland is that little Ryan Switzer. Yeah, the former Dallas Cowboy. Has the inside track to that job. Have you heard anything about Ryan Switzer through your connections? Yeah, I've heard that uh, Derek and Ryan have definitely gained a nice rapport mm-hmm. uh, during camp. No question about that now. Does that mean I'm going to draft Ryan Switzer? Probably not, but it's something to keep an eye on over the next couple of weeks. I'm keeping an eye on him because the cliff year for the big receiver in the NFL has historically been age 33, and Jordy Nelson is 33. So if Jordy Nelson falls off a cliff and Martavis Bryant never fires, Mm -hmm. who's next? Who's next? Is it Seth Roberts? Probably not. Is it Ryan Switzer? Probably. Could be. So decoding the target share pie of some teams is very straightforward. Others is very challenging. One of the most challenging teams to project target share for is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Because there's such an infusion of talent there with Chris Godwin, with O.J. Howard, with Ronald Jones. So how do you see the Tampa Bay Buccaneers distributing that target share pie? Well, you've got to expect that Mike Evans is going to continue to be the guy there on that offense. And he was, you could argue he was one of the three biggest busts in fantasy football last season. I mean, right? A lot of people were touting him as the number one wide receiver in fantasy football. Well, also because we need points in the second half to win fantasy championships. (laughs) And that's when Mike Evans disappeared. Yeah, and you know you, you had the the situation with with, with Jameis Winston, and isn't it isn't it odd that that we didn't predict that Jameis Winston would miss time because when Ryan Fitzpatrick goes to any team in the National Football League, regardless of the fact if he goes in as the potential starter or not, he is going to start games. And again, in 2018, we haven't even started the regular season, and Ryan Fitzpatrick is once again going to start games. But hello, Ryan. That's neither here nor there. So after Evans, I would not be surprised 
if Godwin ends up being the second most targeted wide receiver in Tampa Bay. If you look at what he did last year, okay, when Mike Evans was suspended, he had one game, I believe he had, uh, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it was five catches for around 68 yards, and then he played two games when Deshaun Jackson was out, and he had 200 combined receiving yards. I believe he scored a touchdown, and I'm going off the top of my head. I believe he also had 22 targets in those two games. So he's a playmaker. And what I also saw, which was pretty interesting, He's not a guy who was targeted a whole heck of a lot. I believe he had right around 55 targets last year. But he was still in the top 10 among wide receivers in broken tackles. So he's a strong kid. He's a playmaking guy who's going to move the football downfield. We've already heard reports that he's going to start opposite Mike Evans. They're going to move Deshaun Jackson into the slot. Godwin's someone I'm targeting late. No question about that. You have to. I, I, I don't know that I'm avoiding Mike Evans. Depends on where he falls uh, to me in a draft. But Godwin is someone I am absolutely targeting in drafts. I think he could be this year's Nelson Aguilar. If you remember last year, there was a lot of positive reports about Nelson Aguilar in camp. And some people were like, eh, Nelson Aguilar is a USC guy. Hadn't really done anything. Then he goes out and scores boatloads of touchdowns. Well, I think Godwin could end up being in the same situation where – you know, showed some flashes last year, didn't really put up great numbers, but now you're hearing some positive reports about him. And at the end of the season, you're going to think, hey, Chris Godwin was ended up uh, being a pretty good pick for me late in drafts. And I mean, he's a guy that you're going to be able to get in one of the last four or five rounds of your draft, too. Three games last season where Chris Godwin commanded a snap share above 75%. In those games, more than nine targets mm-hmm. and over 90 yards receiving. That's the average across those three games in which he was used essentially on an every down basis. So when Chris Godwin is in the game, Chris Godwin produces fantasy points. And I think those were the, the, the suspension game from Evans and then the two games that, that Jackson missed. So right. the talent is there. And hopefully this is the season where he turns that talent into fantasy points. We saw a similar usage trend and production outburst from Keelan Cole last year. And you wrote about Keelan Cole. Do you believe he's the wide receiver to own in Jacksonville? I think it's probably Marquise Lee, but Keelan Cole could end up being the better draft value. That's for certain. Um, Dan Helley, who who is a colleague of mine here at NFL Network, uh, who has been following teams around training camps, I listen to what my what my colleagues are talking about and what people talk about reporters on Twitter, et cetera, and that kind of thing, and, and, and what players are saying, too. And Keelan Cole has gotten a lot of positive reviews out of Jacksonville. Now, to be fair, people have already said great things about D.D. Westbrook as well. They're talking about D.J. Chalk, who's, been, who, who's looked pretty good as well. But to me, Cole was a player that intrigues me the most. Last year, he averaged right around 18 yards a catch. He's a playmaker, and there isn't really a – there isn't like a established number one wide receiver oh, in no. Jacksonville. You can say it's Marquise Lee. I mean, and that's fine. It's wide open there, man. It's wide open there. But there are there are targets to be had yeah. in Jacksonville. And they added Dante Moncrief. Who, it's like the Wild West of targets in Jacksonville. Right. <laughs> it, it could be any one of those players who leads the team in targets. Yeah. And to me, Cole has got as good a chance as anybody. Uh, is it going to probably be Marquise Lee who leads the team in targets? Probably. Uh, most likely, but Keelan Cole could end up being second. And if you look at the target share last year among wide receivers in Jacksonville, he was second with 83. So Jacksonville's game flow was weird last year in that they often went out to a big first quarter lead and then it leaked away. But that led to a 
highly skewed run-to-pass ratio. And even if the defense is just as good this year as it was last year, and that's unlikely based on how good the defense was last year, we'll probably see some game flow reversion. We'll probably see the Jacksonville Jaguars in more passing situations. And now the running back that's the most generating the most buzz in camp is Corey Grant. It's not Leonard Fournette. So mm-hmm. when you look at the potential game flow reversion, this looming presence of this playmaker and Corey Grant, should I be drafting Leonard Fournette with any kind of confidence, like at the end of the first round? Or should I be pivoting to a Dalvin Cook or a Kareem Hunt, running backs in better situations? I still like Fournette. 13 games last year and still finished in the top 10 in fantasy points among running backs. And you know, he, he, lost, he lost 10 pounds uh, or so in the offseason, so he's a little bit lighter, um, coming in focused, and he'll be the centerpiece of that offense. And to me, Fournette is somebody that I would be targeting late in round one. Really, my strategy is for this year, unless something weird happens with wide receivers where I can suddenly get New Hopkins and or Odell Beckham Jr. if I'm at the end of the first round, beginning of the second round, typically that's not going to happen. I've seen it happen on occasion. I'm going to end up with Fournette and Cook. Again, if I'm at the end of round one, going into round two in that turn, I'm looking at Fournette and Cook or maybe Hunt and Cook. I think those guys are are, are sort of the, the three backs that you'll see towards the end of the first round, beginning of the second round, they're going to be available. Maybe Melvin Gordon in that mix too, although I think Gordon's highly underrated from a fantasy perspective. But Fournette is not someone that I have any concerns about. Uh, that, that offense is geared toward him having success. Uh, they've improved the offensive line in the offseason. So Fournette's someone I have a lot of faith in. I think that's the key. I think if there's one external force that can balance out the situation for Leonard Fournette this season, it's the improvements to the offensive line. That'll make a big difference. Just a little bit of wider running lane for Leonard Fournette. That can go a long way. We talk about that one-two turn. That's also where I think Michael Thomas should be being drafted. Should he be a first-round pick? I don't have him in my first round, but I'm also a running backs truther. I, even even when everyone was going zero RB, I just wouldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I've been doing this for 20 years, man. I just I had to stick to my guns. He is a top of the second round pick, uh, as far as I'm concerned. Would you consider him in that tier with Odell Beckham Jr. and Julio Jones? I don't. He's in he's in the next tier under that. Uh, right now, I have. Um, obviously, A.B., New Hopkins, Odell Beckham Jr., and Julio Jones. That's my first tier. Okay, so he hasn't broken in yet. I think he will, Michael. I think he's going to. I think he's going to blow that door down with like a bazooka. It's very close. I wouldn't be shocked at all to, to see him do it because he was tremendous last season. I want to see it for another season, and I want to really see. It's one of the more interesting uh, teams and offenses, uh, the Saints, right? Because yes. you go from years and years and years of, of throwing the football and throwing the football to suddenly you transition into a team that's leaning on your running backs and Mark Ingram and, uh, of course, Alvin Kamara. I'm really interested to see what this offense becomes in the first four weeks without Ingram and if they decide that they're going to be throwing the football even more often because really behind Kamara you don't have much of anything at that uh, at that running back position unless you like Jonathan Williams, for example. Um, so, Really, 
this is this is going to be an interesting season for the Saints offensively from a fantasy perspective, because you know Drew Brees was efficient and he, he was a good real quarterback. But last year, from a fantasy perspective, was his worst year in a long time. I think it was his worst year since he was on the Madden cover when he had 22 interceptions, I believe. Uh, and and everyone thought, oh well, Drew Brees, this could be the beginning of the end for Drew Brees. And then of course he turned it around and ended up having several more big seasons before last year. But uh, Michael Thomas is on the cusp of, have, of having that tier one value, yes. but not there yet. Not, there, not yet. there yet. And maybe maybe I change my mind over the next three weeks. We'll see what happens, but he's not there yet. Yeah, New Orleans is, is very intriguing, but it's the Drew Brees offense. He has been the most reliable quarterback, more reliable than Aaron Rodgers, more reliable than Tom Brady. We just when you look at the stickiness of games played and efficiency, games played and efficiency back through time, and the quarterback that makes all the players around him better, go look at the catch rate given the depth of target for Ted Ginn last year. And last year looks like a blip on the Ted Ginn resume, and it's understandable. It's the Drew Brees blip, and that's what we're always trying to figure out. Is this a blip or is this a trend? And I think last year's low volume for Drew Brees was a blip. Just like we can expect the Jacksonville defense to not be quite as dominant this year, I think that's also an expectation of the New Orleans defense. I think we can't expect them to be as good this year as they were last year just because the play of the defenses year to year is just so volatile. And I think Michael Thomas is... He's essentially the Rob Gronkowski go-to player of the New Orleans Saints. And when you look at the Patriots, they keep losing all of these weapons, but the consistent weapon that has been retained and is really the only weapon that Tom Brady has needed is Rob Gronkowski. He's the only player that impacts Tom Brady's efficiency. With Rob Gronkowski, Tom Brady's Tom Brady. Without Rob Gronkowski, he doesn't look like Tom Brady. But Rob Gronkowski is an interesting case where we talk about that blind ADP test. And if you gave me that blind ADP test on Rob Gronkowski, I would have said third round in February because there were so many question marks swirling around Rob Gronkowski. And he didn't even look right to me last year. He looked stiff when you watched him play, even though he put up one of the most efficient seasons by an NFL tight end in a long time. But as this offseason has gone along, all of those negative forces that were swirling around Rob Gronkowski, the possible holdout and the bickering with the coaching staff and the medical staff, all of these things have gone away. And now we're seeing Rob Gronkowski joking with Bill Belichick during practice and Bill Belichick's you know, messing up his hair. And what I want to see from Rob Gronkowski is nothing in the offseason. I don't want to hear the name Rob Gronkowski. I don't want to see Rob Gronkowski on my television. I want radio silence from Rob Gronkowski in the offseason. For so many offseasons, it's been the opposite. But suddenly, we had all this negative swirl, and it just dissipated in the last couple months. Just as all of Tom Brady's weapons were falling down around him, who's left? Who's the guy that's left? The guy that Tom Brady needs it's Rob Gronkowski. And to me, this tees up perfectly for what could be the best tight end season of all time. Do you agree? Because I really set it up. The narrative, right? I mean, I set that up. You just convinced me. Listen, man, anything is possible with Rob Gronkowski. If this guy can stay on the football field and stay healthy, 
anything is possible. Um, and, and he's already had some of the best tight end seasons of all time. That's right. That's that's all. That's the reason. It's a very easy case. We, we already seen him do it. So uh, right now his ADP is right around the third round, and, and that's about where I would pick him to. But so for me, if there's a position that has an abundance, like quarterback and tight end, uh, uh, you know, uh, or like quarterback, for example, I, I'm going to wait. Now at tight end. You can't argue that there's an abundance of great players, no. but you can argue that there is an abundance of pretty decent players who can end up being pretty decent bargains based on their ADP. Like Delaney Walker seems to be every single year. Well, this year, as opposed to last year, I agree with you because there has been a talent resurgence across the tight end position, not just good tight ends like Jordan Reed getting healthy, but also an influx of young talent. Right, exactly. When you're talking about guys like David Njoku and O.J. Howard, for example, Trey Burton ends up in a spot where he could end up being a very good player this year from a fantasy perspective. George Kittle, uh, depending on his injury status at this point, it looks like he's going to be okay for week one. Uh, you can even go a little bit deeper uh, and look to Miami and uh, Mike Kosicki, who's suddenly gotten rave reviews for his pass catching not so much for his blocking still love to see that though yeah ricky sills jones is another player who could potentially be a deep sleeper so you know clearly tight end is not a position that's as deep as the quarterback spot but there are some players out there that if you decide to wait on a on a tight end that you can still get pretty good value for in this draft that I was in last night, the best ball draft. Jack Doyle was still avo- available in the double-digit rounds. I don't know if that's because of the addition of Eric Ebron or not, but there's value to be had there. Get Jack Doyle in the double-digit rounds, please, people. Don't let that happen to you. Even in high stakes, p- mistakes can be made. I was shocked, and the only reason I didn't take him was because I had invested in Travis Kelsey earlier in the draft. So... I wanted to fill other positions, but there's always going to be a few tight ends that are going to outplay their ADP. No, I mean, no question about that. And and I think this year it could end up being a Burton. It could end up being a George Kittle, for example. Uh, and, and if a Jack Doyle falls to that depth, then he could end up being that player too. Jordan Reed, you mentioned, I mean, that's one of those situations where... Fool me once. Fool me once, right. Yes. But if he's on the board in the ninth or 10th round... That's not that much of a risk to take. You're not getting fooled in the ninth round. You can't fool me in the ninth round. You're not doing anything to me. You're not going to trick me in the ninth round. Exactly. So once you get past Gronkowski and Kelsey and Ertz, whichever whichever way you want to rank the three of those guys, that they're all very close in value. I still have Gronkowski number one. If you don't get one of those top three guys, there are going to be plenty of tight ends with upside, young tight ends or tight ends who are – pretty consistent every single year like for example a Kyle Rudolph who you're going to be able to get uh, in the middle to later rounds of your draft that's the guy I've been drafting I'm drafting Kyle Rudolph in most drafts especially PPR leagues where I'm not drafting Rob Gronkowski where I am drafting Rob Gronkowski in the second round is in standard leagues we talked about the difference between draft master best ball versus traditional leagues in how you would value and where you would draft Kelvin Benjamin Well, when it comes to tight ends like Rob Gronkowski, especially those that are so heavily used in the red zone, there's a premium on those players in standard leagues. And in a standard league, and a lot of standard leagues also start less players, you'll find. So in a lot of these standard leagues that are more traditional, they start less players, the tight end's share of overall fantasy points is often higher. So in a non-PPR format where touchdowns are a premium, 
Give me Rob Gronkowski in the second round all day. Now, staying with the Patriots, all these skill position players are flaming out, and yet still nothing about James White, (laughs) right? (laughs) Even in PPR leagues, I mean, what has to happen in New England for anyone to utter the name James White? Well, let's see. Rex Burkhead needs to go on the pup list, and Sonny Michel's knee needs to flare up every single week. Uh, and then you're going to hear a lot of James White because he's got a few guys ahead of him on the depth chart still. But James White is one of those guys in PPR leagues where you take late and you're going to end those up guys. You're going to end up putting him in your lineup more more often than you think. Last year, 72 targets uh, in that in that passing game, and he always comes up big. James White always comes up big in the big spot. So, the real Super Bowl MVP, James White. And we all remember what he did. That's correct. That's right. Now, Rashad Penny broke his finger, but he should be back for the start of the season. Maybe don't ask Pete Carroll because no one believes what Pete Carroll says about injuries anyway. Mm -hmm. But what's the likelihood that Chris Carson starts week one and does not relinquish that job? What's the likelihood? Boy, at this point, I would say it's probably about Uh, 50-50. And I would side more with... With Penny eventually taking that job, but here's he would think, but here's two here's two points for you. So so number one, Chris Carson, I think he had he had a little bit of a flash last year, but if you look at his overall numbers, I mean they weren't great. But he has shown enough in camp to be considered one of the more um, one of the more productive players uh, thus far. In Seattle's training camp, he's he's drawn rave reviews, and and we've seen it in reports all over the place. Where even before Penny was hurt, he was the starter. Preseason week one rolls up, Chris Carson's the starter. Uh, some people that I talk to with, let's just say, knowledge of the team, uh, tell me Chris Carson's not going anywhere. And this was before Penny was injured. Now, conventional wisdom would would lead you to think they drafted this guy in the first round. He's going to end up taking that starting job sooner rather than later. In fact, most analysts, including myself, thought, well, Penny's probably the odds-on favorite to start once we get into camp. Well, most of us, including myself, were wrong. But at some point, I think talent takes over. And once Penny gets healthy, and, you know, people freak out when you hear about these injuries, like, you know, Sonny Michel and now Penny, where guys are going to miss camp and, and suddenly their their value goes down heading into the season. But, you know, the NFL season is not just three or four weeks long. I mean, we go 16, 17 weeks, depending on your league. And so what happens at the beginning of the season doesn't necessarily mean that's what's going to happen as we get to the midway point of the season. So at some point, I believe there's at least a 50-50 chance that Rashad Penny is going to end up being the starter in the backfield for the Seattle Seahawks. With that being said, I also believe that Chris Carson is going to get his touches. So this isn't going to be a clear featured role for Penny as a lot of us had expected when he was drafted in the first round. This ends up being a committee situation where Carson puts a dent into Penny's touches. So right now, and Penny's ADP is clearly going to drop, he's been coming off the board somewhere in the fifth or sixth round. Now you're probably looking at him coming off the board maybe a round or two later than that, whereas Chris Carson is going to go from really not being drafted until the late rounds until – uh, until recently, to now being pushed up maybe into the 10th or 11th round, maybe even a little bit higher than that. Um, but at the end of the day, I think this could end up being a committee situation where it's 60-40 Penny Carson 
once all is said and done uh, in 2018. Yeah. On our draft kit, fantasy-draftkit.com, fantasy-draftkit.com, post-injury, Rashad Penny is now checking in behind Karrion Johnson and behind Royce Freeman. Wow, interesting. Because of this projected opportunity share breakdown. The opportunity distribution is such in Seattle that Chris Carson is going to command touches regardless of whether or not he's starting and Rashad Penny is healthy. And there's also CJ Procise on passing downs. So there's a real touch dilution happening in Seattle and it's terrible. I don't enjoy moving Rashad Penny down my board. I love Rashad Penny. We were touting Rashad Penny this offseason, especially in Dynasty Leagues, on the Mount Rushmore of running backs in Dynasty for rookie drafts this year. And yet, now, we have to get real. We have to get real. This is terrible. I mean, everything is terrible (laughs) in this Seattle (laughs) backfield. Everything you just said— my face as you were discussing the Seattle backfield, it was like I just ate something rancid. <laughs> My whole face puckered, and I just don't want any part of this backfield. If anyone, I'm drafting CJ Prosize late because he's also 220 pounds, and he could carve out additional touches beyond just the satellite back role in that offense because if he's healthy, he's a satellite back plus. And we have an injured starter in Rashad Penny, and we have an unproven replacement in Chris Carson. Chris Carson's getting buzzed, but Chris Carson has never been a good running back at any level of football. When you zoom out and you look at his dominator at Oklahoma State, you look at his athleticism numbers, he has a great burst score. Like, that's the only thing on his prospect profile, on player profile, you can point to as impressive. So, When I zoom out and I look at the full picture on these running backs, the best value is actually C.J. Procise, which is what you get when you have a stay-away backfield like we have in Seattle right now. Another stay-away backfield is in Tampa because I am terrified of Ronald Jones. He does not look the part of a workhorse, and what I've found is... The running back enthusiast, Scott Fish, came on the program a couple months ago. He's also a backaholic, self-described. And what I found is the backaholics don't just love running backs. They love a particular type of running back. They love the workhorse back. So the backaholics don't even necessarily like a Ronald Jones anyway. So at what point should Ronald Jones enthusiasts be worried about someone like Peyton Barber? Yeah, it's funny, right? Because you think when he's drafted by the Buccaneers that it's the perfect situation. You've got Barber, you've got Jaquiz Rogers. Uh, not exactly big-time competition there. Right, yawn fest. But Rojo has some some deficiencies as a pass catcher. There's question marks about his pass protection. And Barber started the first game of the preseason. I get it. It's only the first week of the preseason. And you can throw away preseason depth charts at this point, uh, let's be quite honest. But I still believe Rojo has the most talent in that backfield. Does that make him a featured back? No. Uh, you, you've seen people draw comparisons to Jamal Charles. And, and I've, seen, I've seen that on film as well. But he's not a complete back like Jamal Charles was. Jamal Charles pass protected. Jamal Charles was an excellent pass catcher. And I think the comparison to Jamal Charles, Jamal Charles was more of his explosion, his speed, uh, his elusiveness. And in Tampa right now, you're looking at, again, a committee situation. Could that committee be led by the rookie in Rojo? Absolutely. But right now, Peyton Barber's that guy. And Peyton Barber and Chris Carson are sort of 
wrapped into the same sort of fantasy bubble right now because they're two veteran guys who, if you can call Chris Carson a veteran coming into his second year, who no one expected to compete for a starting job, who suddenly find themselves atop their respective team's depth charts. And Barbara's being was being undrafted um, in a lot of leagues earlier. Now he's being drafted clearly uh, later on. He's still not a guy who's going to go probably in the top 10 rounds, but he'll certainly go in the bottom five rounds in 15-round 15, uh, 15 leagues uh, drafts. But Barber is someone who showed some flashes last year, but overall, his yards per carry average isn't very, isn't very impressive. Um, more, a guy who can be more of a pass catcher in this offense. So I think you're going to end up seeing at some point during the year Ronald Jones get his chance to be a starter in Tampa Bay, but being a featured back and being a starter are two very different things, and we know that uh, being in this crazy fantasy football world. So Rojo could end up being stuck in a committee that limits his ceiling at least during his rookie campaign as he improves as a pass catcher, as he improves in pass protection. Ronald Jones is a great candidate to trade for after a couple weeks. You know, we still trade in in seasonal leagues that allow trading and free agent pickups. That's the perfect guy to go trade for after Peyton Barber dominates the touches in the first couple of weeks. Then you can go trade for Ronald Jones at what is proper value on Ronald Jones. And then you get the upside. Right now, the upside's baked in, so I'm not interested. And that's the case with a lot of these rookie running backs. It seems like rookie running backs implode every other day when I look at the fantasy news. So who do you think will be the second most productive rookie running back this year, assuming Barkley is number one? Yeah, and, and I, you know, two weeks ago I would have said Geis, and it wouldn't have been yeah. even a question. And then Penny. Right. At this point, I'm going to go Royce Freeman. Yeah, process of elimination. That and the fact that opportunities are plentiful there right. in Denver, right? I mean, C.J. Anderson's now in Carolina. Jamal Charles is no longer on the roster. Uh, I don't know that they really believe that uh, Devontae Booker can be the guy. Uh, they've given him opportunities. Please. He hadn't really done much with them. Last year, C.J. was the better of the two backs. They, he didn't get enough work um, uh, in that backfield, in my opinion. And Freeman is someone who clearly can be a three-down back uh, at the pro level. Uh, He's built like a three-down back. This is a guy who John Elway has envisioned as a three-down back when he came out of Oregon. So Freeman would be my guy, although now there's there's certainly a a drop, right? So you're going to go, Saquon Barkley's going to be a first-round pick, and no one's even questioning that. But Royce Freeman's probably not coming off the board until round five or six, depending on the size of your league. Whereas Geis, I could see sneaking potentially into the fourth round. Uh, Freeman's going to be going probably in the fifth or sixth round. If there's one rookie running back who could be this year's Kareem Hunt, uh, I think it could be Royce Freeman. And if he has another good game or two in the preseason, you're going to start to see his stock rise and rise and rise. Rise and rise and rise and rise. I already locked him into all my Dynasty League teams because my Dynasty League teams win, Michael. (laughs) And so I'm drafting in the back of the first round and right there, right there waiting for me, always Royce Freeman. Rum, 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 rum. Driver rolls Royce Freeman. So we talk about these running backs we like. Who's the most overrated running back right now? Wow. So that's a tough one because I have a few guys 
Good. That, that can fit into that category. So in the best ball league that I drafted last night, it was very untraditional for me because typically I'm running backs heavy. But right. somehow I had the eighth overall pick, and I ended up with Antonio Brown. I said, oh, my God, I oh, can't wow. pass on Antonio Brown eighth overall. Second pick, I had Christian McCaffrey. Third pick, Travis Kelsey's looking at me. I says, okay, Travis Kelsey's a guy that I'm going to take here. I got the best wide receiver. I've got the best tight end uh, or arguably one of the two best tight ends in fantasy football in Travis Kelsey. Uh, fourth round. Amari Cooper, Allen Robinson. No, I ended up with Kenyon Drake. I ended up with Kenyon Drake. I said, oh, no, 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 Michael. I'm going to go against myself. I'm not right all the time. That is for sure. None of us are. Uh, I always like to say the most the, the most predictable thing about the NFL is that it's unpredictable. Um, and, and while I'm not that high on Kenyon Drake, he was the best running back still on the board, and I took him. I look at what he did last year, and he was getting an average of 21 touches a game over his last five games with Frank Gore in the mix. He's not going to get that. I think Frank Gore could potentially take goal line work away from him. I've talked to Joe Shad, uh, who's a beat reporter for the Dolphins down there. He tells me Kenyon Drake is still going to be the guy. He's still going to see 18 touches a game, but Frank Gore is going to put a dent into his statistics in terms of potentially stealing goal line opportunities. He expects Gore to get maybe 10 touches a game. So Drake is someone who, and this happens every year. I mean, let's be honest. There is a player uh, or several players who in the second half of the previous year go nuts and everyone falls in love with them. And then the following year they fall on their face. And I, I date back to when Steve Slayton did that for the Houston Texans years ago. We call it a small sample trap. But regardless, right, exactly. And I, I think potentially people are falling into that. Now, taking them in the fourth round where I did, maybe I'm going to have to uh, take my medicine at that point. But he was being drafted in the third round in some leagues. And I saw that, and I said, there's no way I can take him in the third round. There's too much uncertainty there uh, with Gore. And I get Gore's 35 years old, and people think he's washed up. He's not washed up. He's not as good as he was when he was 28. Of course, none of us are. But he's still going to make an impact. He didn't go there to be a mentor. He went there to make uh, make a, a difference in that backfield in terms of what he can do on the gridiron. So He's a zombie back. Man, he's a zombie running back. Zombies aren't fast. That's a great term. That's a great term. They're not fast. They just ruin everything for everybody. <laughs> they're very impactful, even if they're not fast. They're not athletic. There's no such thing as an athletic zombie. It doesn't exist. But they make a big mess. And that's what Frank Gore can do. And I would also argue that, and some people might disagree with me, Deion Lewis was tremendous last year for the Patriots, okay, when he was on the football field. He was tremendous, had over 200 touches. Well, you needed Deion Lewis if you wanted to beat a team with Todd Gurley in the playoffs. <laughs> right? right. Very versatile guy. He's the only guy that was putting up the fantasy points week to week in the playoffs to match Todd Gurley. Right. He had that huge game. I, I want to say it was, was it against the Bills? I, I, I'm, I'm trying, to, trying, trying to jog. I think it was the Bills, and then there was another one against the Jets where he just went nuts. Yeah. All in the fantasy playoffs. He was amazing. But I see people drafting him ahead of Derrick Henry in, in, in PPR leagues, and I get it. He's a better pass catcher, no question about that. 
But I still have my reservations about Deion Lewis. Uh, Deion Lewis has never really been a durable guy. Deion Lewis has never really had to be the featured back. He's not going to be a featured back in Tennessee. I still think Derrick Henry is going to dominate the early down work. I think Derrick Henry is going to be the goal line back. If you look back at Deion Lewis's splits, I mean, he's a guy who's played 16 games once in his career. Once. Um, and I don't know that he can shoulder the burden of a full workload for an offense that could be pretty fun to watch uh, under Matt LaFleur, let's be honest. He's a great PPR back, but I don't know why you're drafting him before you're drafting Tariq Cohen and Duke Johnson. Correct. It's a similar situation with a similar skill set. So he is another back that I would beware of because there's a lot of hype around him. And as good as he was last year, let's be honest, that was his best season in the NFL by a mile, by a mile. I mean, he rushed for, I believe, almost 900 yards, and his previous career high wasn't even 300. Right, yeah. So this is why you draft the early down grinder, all else being equal. I mean, this could be a Peyton Barber, Ronald Jones situation in Tennessee where Ronald Jones is essentially Deion Lewis, and Deion Lewis is essentially Ronald Jones. Maybe Deion Lewis commands a huge opportunity share in the second half like he did last year with the Patriots, just like Ronald Jones might. Who knows? But I'm not paying a premium for that player. I'm just not. I'm just not. I'm sorry. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. Is there a running back you'd be drafting in the last round? Just a guy that you think has the most upside if things break right? I don't know if a guy like Naheem Hines is going to last until the last round. Well, that's a good one, though. He'll be out there in the later rounds, and Marlon Mack is projected to be the guy, but I would expect there to be a committee situation there. So I think Hines is someone in PPR leagues that you could potentially grab late. Corey uh, Clement is, is another one that... I would look at, I liked him more before Darren Sproles resigned with the Philadelphia Eagles, but uh, CeCe was a hero for the Eagles in the Super Bowl last season, so he's a playmaker as well. I've become a lot less of an athleticism snob with running backs in the last few years, and it's really paid dividends. Even if a guy does not have great athleticism, if he's able to take advantage of the creases and crevices that a defense gives him, and he has just... A football intelligence that allows him to be in the right place at the right time, that can be a way to overcome athletic deficiencies. And I see that with Corey Clement. He seems to be a high IQ player at a position that's typically dominated by uber athletes. And yet he's out there beating athletic players to spots on the football field without great speed or burst. And to me, that's very intriguing. Remember Arian Foster? Oh, I certainly do. Arian Foster was not fast. Arian Foster wasn't even particularly agile. He just, he knew how to slide into a crease and a crevice and be at the right place at the right time based on the run blocking and the play that was called. And I just see that with a Corey Clement. And I've never been a Jay Ajayi enthusiast. And I'm just looking for players I can compile in the later rounds that have a path to a large opportunity share for a prolific offense if things break right. And Corey Clement fits that profile perfectly. No doubt about it. No doubt about that. Someone to keep your uh, keep your eye on late. No question. So we talked about who you would draft in the third and fourth round. You ended up going Kenyon Drake in the fourth round. If you went receiver in the fourth round, who's your ideal fourth round wide receiver? 
I've seen Larry Fitzgerald follow the fourth round in some leagues. Oh, that's perfect. That's perfect. And I, I had one mock draft that I can remember where I went running back, running back, first two rounds, and then I had T.Y. Hilton in the third round and Fitzgerald in the fourth round, and I would take that all day long. As long as Andrew Luck is slinging the football, uh, I'm fine with T.Y. Hilton being my number one wide receiver because that's exactly what he is from a fantasy perspective when Andrew Luck is under center. So Fitzgerald is, is someone that I would I would love to get in the fourth round. And Jarvis Landry is someone there it is. Now maybe he's gonna sneak up into the third round. We'll see what happens depending on the, the Josh Gordon situation. But Landry is someone that I wouldn't mind having as a fourth round pick. If I'm in a PPR league, Golden Tate is someone that I wouldn't mind having clearly as my wide receiver too as a fourth round pick as well. You're talking about a lot of established veteran players that are ideal fourth-round picks. I don't care how old Larry Fitzgerald is. If he did it last year, if he was both productive and efficient last year, I'm assuming he'll be both productive and efficient this year. We saw that with Steve Smith out to age 37. So I'm going to give Larry Fitzgerald credit that he is in as good of a shape as Steve Smith was based on his famous work ethic and his ability to take care of his body and his strength and his conditioning. Now, but T.Y. Hilton, though, I mean, if yeah. I had to pick a veteran receiver that I think would bounce back most vigorously, and we're all going to be looking back in December, and there's A.J. Green and T.Y. Hilton in the top 10 wide receivers, and it's like, yeah, of course. Hello, it's T.Y. Hilton and A.J. Green. They were available in the late second and third round. Those are auto picks at those slots. Now, who's the most overrated wide receiver, though? One guy that I'm seeing that, that people are drafting that I feel is a little overrated is Alshon Jeffrey. And, you know, he had, he, had, he had the nine touchdowns last year, but his yardage wasn't tremendous. And now he's got the issue where potentially he's going to be on the PUP list. So you're going to start seeing his stock sliding, uh, especially as a result of this recent report. If this is a guy who's going to miss time, especially – Staying on the PUP list, dating into the regular season, you're looking at missing six games, he's going to slide big time. Uh, and right now the fear of that is going to cause him to slide maybe a round or two. I've dropped him down into my mid-20s in my PPR rankings among wide receivers. So he's a player that I believe is a little bit overrated. Uh, another player, and maybe he's not that young, but is Pierre Garçon. Marquise Goodwin is getting all of the good press out of San Francisco right now. They're talking about him having a tremendous rapport with Jimmy Garoppolo. We saw that last year in the second half. He was a league winner. I can see a scenario now, and maybe this is going to be sort of the, the, the default scenario, is that Goodwin is drafted ahead of Garcon, especially in standard scoring leagues. He's a playmaker, can stretch the field, uh, and he's got a great rapport with that quarterback. I dare you to go find news on Pierre Garcon. And go ahead. There isn't. It's all on Goodwin. Go ahead. Somebody, somebody show me a news blurb on Pierre Garçon. Find it. Has the name Pierre Garçon been uttered in front of a camera in all of sports media? Has it been printed in sports media all off season? Never once. Show it to me. Nothing. I want to see the evidence. Nothing. Yep. Is he in the league? Sorry. That's okay. <laughs> I, I like Pierre. I, I like Marquise Goodwin. <laughs> Yeah, I do too. I mean, the other young wide receiver that I would think people may believe has some breakout ability, albeit now that's sort of been squashed with the injury, is Devontae Parker because opportunity, talent, now he's hurt, and that's someone that I would probably stay away from unless he's my fifth wide receiver, to be quite honest with you. I have Kenny Stills ranked ahead of him. As you should, 
And my biggest lesson as a fantasy analyst was, and I mentioned it earlier, my biggest lesson learned as a fantasy analyst was to take these injuries more seriously and to expect the effects of the injury to impact the player even once they return. Mm -hmm. And beyond that, impact their supporting cast, especially if it's a quarterback. So what was the most valuable lesson you learned as an analyst in the last year? You, you go into a draft, at least smart fantasy owners, go into a draft, and you know you have a list of a player, players that, that you really want, that, that you really believe are going to get you to the championship. But I've learned that, and I guess we're always learning as analysts, that you don't want to reach too high. Okay, so for example, last year, um, there was uh, a quarterback who I liked in particular, Marcus Mariota. I thought he was going to end up being the 2017 version of Matt Ryan. I was wrong. I reached for him in some drafts. Me and you, right there. I reached for him. And you know what's going to happen? It's going to be this year. It's going to be this year. We were a year early. Watch it happen this year. He's your late-round quarterback du jour, right? He's someone that I will target in the late rounds if I draft two quarterbacks because a lot of times I don't do that. But I, I reached for him. I, I had him ranked in my top eight quarterbacks last season, and I got burned by it. Um, sometimes it's better not to reach. And I see people doing that all the time, and sometimes it works out. There were drafts last year where I reached for Kareem Hunt, and I hit a home run with that one. Um, but there were other situations where I reached for players and the result, well, it, it was not as good as I would have hoped. So that's one, that's one tip, one thing that I've learned over the last year, as much as you like someone, um, maybe you like someone more than anybody else in your draft. There's still no reason to reach for him too far, right? If you're going to reach around maybe, maybe two rounds. Okay. I get it. But I always, and I like to put my players into tiers, and I don't put players into tiers where they don't belong, okay? Because maybe I have a specific belief that this player is going to break out or this player is going to be a massive bust. And listen, again, I, I say it all the time, the, mo the most predictable thing about the NFL is that it's unpredictable. I would also suggest that people out there mock as much as you possibly can and see what trends you're seeing out uh, in these mock drafts. You will find... I, I almost guarantee the one trend that's going to be glaring in your face is that people are not drafting quarterbacks. They're not drafting quarterbacks. Nope. In this league I was in last night, Aaron Rodgers didn't come off the board until the fifth round. And then it was Deshaun Watson. I ended up getting Tom Brady, I want to say, in the... Eighth round. In the eighth round. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. It is a a scenario that is almost guaranteed to happen unless you were in some wacky scoring system where quarterbacks are highly valued or you're in a super flex league or if you're in a two QB league, but if you're in a traditional draft, quarterbacks are going to be available late. And if we've learned anything from the last couple of years, whether it be Matt Ryan in 2016 or Carson Wentz and Alex Smith and Jared Goff last year, you can find good quarterbacks on the waiver wire or potentially late in your draft. Like Marcus Mariota and Derek Carr. Probably this season. And, and, and we, will, we will probably get snaked out of getting either one of them because the fantasy gods are cruel. But those are the two things that, that, I, would, that I would caution fantasy owners or advise them to do. You, you're going to have a list of players that you like. Uh, we all have it. There's certain players that we're going to want to target. 
but don't get crazy with reaching for them three rounds, four rounds ahead of where they're really supposed to be, because you still want to have value in each and every round. And again, do mock drafts, NFL.com, wherever you go, mock drafts are, are, are a great tool for, for, for helping you sort of get a feel for where players are going to go uh, when you actually uh, draft for real. The player I've considered reaching for on multiple occasions and then ended up not having the courage to reach for him and then he's drafted by another expert in some expert league a few slots before my next pick, mm-hmm. Chris Hogan. Every fucking time. <laughs> I think, oh, I should get Chris Hogan here. No, one more round. One more round. And where are you seeing Hogan go in these drafts? In our draft last night, he was a fifth-round pick. Yeah, and I'm thinking, oh, yeah, I can get him. Early fifth round, I'll get him. No, no, gone. Gone. Also, know who you're drafting against. That's a big one. That's a big one. If you're drafting against the experts, I know that drafting against a couple of guys that have written articles about Chris Hogan, what the fuck do you think is going to happen? <laughs> God, I'm still mad about this. But at least I have my truthers that I can get in the final rounds. Who's that one guy that hasn't broken out yet? Maybe he's been in the league a few years and uh-huh. you qualify for truther status on. So you're going to have to define truther status to me. Well, just he's been in the league at least a year. Now, I'm not saying you have to go full Jeff Janis on me. Okay. He's been in the league at least a year. He's still percolating under the radar. He's not a starter yet. But the moment anything happens with this player, you're always on the lookout for news, and you're going to be the first one to jump on him on the waiver wire. Who's that guy? Mike Williams in Los Angeles. Yeah, Mike Williams, I think because of the injury and that he was usurped by Tyrell Williams, another Williams, I think even though he was a top 10 pick last year, the big Mike Williams advocates, you could consider yourselves truthers. Yeah, I really think Mike Williams is still a bit under the radar, even though he's a name guy who you mentioned was drafted highly last year, really did nothing from a fantasy perspective as a rookie, but Hunter Henry's gone. Uh, There's going to be red zone opportunities there in Los Angeles, and Oh, by the way, Tyrell Williams is the number two, but, I mean, would anybody be surprised if Mike Williams was the guy who was second in targets in L.A. behind Keenan Allen at the wide receiver position? I would not. And you would be wrong. I'm team Tyrell Williams. You're team Mike Williams. We're going to see how this shakes out at the end of the season, Michael. We will see. Williams versus Williams, Fabiano versus Kelly. We're going to see how this works. Now, are we going Are we going touchdowns? Are we going fantasy points? Are we going PPR? What are we going? PPR fantasy points. We're going to see how this shakes out. I'm going to be in your mentions if Tyro, you know, if Tyro Williams starts to build a lead on Mike Williams. Just telling you that right now, Mr. Fabiano. I'm telling you that right now. I look forward to it. I look forward to it. That's right. That's right. There'll be gifs in your mentions. Oh, no. Oh, no, no. Don't do that. <laughs> no. All right. Give me one very, 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 and this is extreme. I'm talking about go out to the furthest place you can go and still retain your respectability. And I need a very bold prediction. A very bold prediction. Like this kind of crazy, but you know, it's not that crazy. I want to hear your bold prediction. Give me your bold prediction. I want to hear how bold we're talking about because there's bold that is, well, never going to happen in a million years. And then there's bold 
that, well, yeah, that could potentially happen at some point this season. Well, my favorite bold prediction is that Marcus Mariota will outscore both Deshaun Watson and Jimmy Garoppolo in fantasy football. Wow. That one's big. I think that Marcus Mariota is the player you thought he was last year. That's my bold prediction. And I think like Kenyon Drake, I'm wary of the small sample trap with both Jimmy Garoppolo and Deshaun Watson. And Deshaun Mm -hmm. Watson specifically because he got away with so many interceptable passes and danger plays last year. Just random chance will be his undoing or at least throttle his productivity and he won't be a top five quarterback. And I think if enough quarterbacks fall by the wayside, that paves the way for Marcus Mariota to just storm the top 10 quarterbacks, maybe leak into the top five. Because we talk about this every year, there's that surprise quarterback in the top five. Mm -hmm. Four years ago, it was Andy Dalton. Yep. Yeah. Imagine that. So there's going to be one. Why not Marcus Mariota? Because he has the mobility and he has the accuracy. And now he has the offensive coordinator, the offensive line, and the supporting weaponry. On the Connect Four board, all those pieces are clicking into place. All right, so now that I have now that I have the, the, the correct level of boldness. Right, yeah, it's been calibrated, the bold calibration. Yes. I will say that once Jameis Winston returns from his suspension from his first game to the end of the season, barring injuries, he will end up being a top eight fantasy quarterback. Winston returns from his suspension from his first game to the end of the season, barring injuries, he will end up being a top eight fantasy quarterback. Is that bold enough? Every time he goes down a level in the dream world, there's this big like no like the, it's like it's a famous composer that did the score for that movie Hans Zimmer I think and they actually use the the score to tell you where in the dream world Leo DiCaprio is the movie's awesome sleeper movie for me because I'm a horror movie fan The Devil's Rejects and and he's coming out with a sequel uh, I believe next year love that if you're a horror movie fan you got to see that and another sequel is coming for Edge of Tomorrow by Tom Cruise. You know, being in front of cameras is really hot. The lights are very hot, and there's a lot of pressure. And, and, and you know, you have to get it right the first time. It's not easy, man. I was in front of over 2 million viewers on live television last week, and I'm going to do it again this week during preseason games, which is where I lean on, you know, other sites like yours and Pro Football Focus and stuff like that. I don't have any time to, to watch games and watch tape and everything else. I'm on TV freaking six days a week, you know? And like when I'm not on TV, I'm doing podcasts. When I'm not doing podcasts, I'm writing columns. It's like freaking insane. I don't watch these games. I, I don't have time. And if I did have time, I'm going to probably do something with your family, <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and like my wife, you know, is looking at the calendar and I'm like, I guess Sunday afternoon is the only time I'm available. Oh, that's what the games are. So that's just when I have to, you know, it's when I do stuff. 
and I'm not sorry about it, you know? The idea that you can watch all these games is nuts. Yeah, there has to be a balance. In some cases, the best technology, the best tools, the best user experience is on the NFL media platforms. Like, for example, my favorite like game log box score is on NFL.com. No one does it better where you have like the highlight right in the game log. That stuff's great for me. Yeah, well, we're the only ones that could do that, yeah. You're going to come here anyway. That's not the attitude, clearly. They're trying to do, like, a great user experience. Every year they're trying to improve it, yep. I really rely on stuff like that. Yeah, that like, that little highlight clip in there is important for me. Or to know, like, who the defender was that batted the pass away. Red zone and, and highlights and that kind of stuff is just invaluable. I remember thinking when they did the red zone channel, I was like, I'm so glad they're doing this. I can't believe someone greenlit this project. But thank God they did. I know. Thank God they did the Red Zone channel. I think in the long run, it's proven to be super valuable. But I think early on, there was one, like, is this cannibalizing our full-length games? So, but someone was forward-thinking, man. And it's worked out very well, that's for sure. Very rarely do I sort of practice my intro. I found myself, like, mumbling, like, practicing my intro. I, I don't even know why I did that. I was like, why am I doing this? I never, this is not... I've done so many shows. It was like, ah. All good, brother. But I love Greggles. Is that bold enough? Oh, I just blinked. Oh, he's in the sixth round. Gronk unhappy. Gronk want more money. Gronk want more appreciation. There's the football. Go get the football. Go get the football, Gronk. Go get the football. There's the football. Is that bold enough? You fool me once, shame on me. You fool me twice... Shame on... Uh, hey, listen, I'm not going to get fooled again, okay? I'm not going to get fooled again. But he's not there yet. He's peeing all over the wide receiver room. He's establishing alpha dog status. Yeah, he is. <laughs> that is for certain. By just peeing everywhere and staking claim to that role. Throw that guy out of practice! What are you doing? I'm not right all the time. I'm, I'm shocked by this. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just so shocked. I'm just shocked. Yeah, skill set match, right? Skill set match. I get it. I know. I think he's gonna. I think he's gonna blow that door down with like a bazooka. I get it. I know. It's like the wild west of targets in Jacksonville. Is that bold enough? I want radio silence from Rob Gronkowski in the off season. I'm not right all the time. My Dynasty League teams win, Michael. I get it. I know. Royce Freeman. Rum, 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 rum. Because I really set it up. The narrative, right? I mean, I set that up. You just convinced me. You're not going to trick me in the ninth round. I have a few guys that, that can fit into that category. Mine's Kenyon Drake. <sighs> that was the top of my list. No, no, I'll, I'll, no, I'll edit that on the podcast. I'll edit that on the, I'll edit that on the podcast. That's going in the outtakes. I get it. I know. There's no such thing as an athletic zombie. It doesn't exist. You just convinced me. Oh, no, 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 Michael! See, I reached for him. And you know what's going to happen? It's going to be this year. It's going to be this year. We were a year early. Watch it happen this year. I thought you were going to say you learned about playerprofiler.com. Show it to me! Is he in the league? I want to see the evidence! I look forward to it. I look forward to it. 
Every fucking time. <laughs> I'm drafting against a couple of guys that have written articles about Chris Hogan. What the fuck do you think's going to happen? Oh, no, 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 Michael! <laughs>